the Rams Iconic, the podcast where we catch up with some of the greatest players in Rams franchise history. I'm your host, DeMarco Farr, and I will be your tour guide as we take a trip down memory lane and reminisce about some of the greatest moments you've had as a Rams fan. My guest today, and I know he's going to be mad about this next word, my guest today is responsible <laughs> for a lot of those moments. 12 years in the National Football League, six of them with the St. Louis Rams. Two of those seasons, he was named NFL MVP, and that makes me just go, wow. In 2001, he led the league in passing. He's a four-time Pro Bowler, a Super Bowl champ, a Super Bowl MVP. That's a lot of hardware. And in 2017, he was inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Please welcome in the iconic Kurt Warner. What's up, man? What's going on? I can't believe the intro didn't include racquetball. It didn't include <laughs> playing a horse at Rams Park. I mean, that was really where I think I separated myself in your mind. But, uh, but hey, it's good to see you, man. It's always good to, uh, to catch up, and thanks for having me on. See, that's so funny. That's in the second paragraph, but I'll jump to it. I just remember uh, playing in that little room. Uh, it was the basketball, racquetball room that we turned into a lunch room for some reason. Yeah, that's it. No idea why. We didn't get to shoot nearly enough hoops, but there was a lot of good, good battles on the, uh, on the racquetball course. See, it was that look right there. See, you're giving me the look. See? That's the one that used to drive me crazy. What book is that? What are you talking about? I'm humble, but uh, you know I'm better. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that was true, but we still did have some good battles. I'm <laughs> humble, but I'm killing you. Absolutely. <laughs> so uh, this next bit kind of got me. Uh, what are they doing now? You've been with the NFL Network since 2010. Has it been that long? It has been that long. I've been out of the game for, for a decade now. It's, uh, it's amazing. That, uh, you know, but, but I tell people all the time and, and, you know, my, my journey was kind of crazy to begin with. And so to think that I got 12 years playing in the league, uh, I would have never guessed that. And I was so blessed by those 12 years. And then to think that the league in the game has given me 10 more years in the business, uh, you know, to, to have the life that I have and a profession that I love. And so I just count myself blessed in so many different ways and uh, love what I'm doing now. I love pulling games. Love being at the stadium and being around the guys still. Uh, love working on the NFL Network and, and being able to be kind of a voice for the fans. Um, I coach high school football. I do some individual coaching. I mean, and so it's, you know, my wife tells me all the time is I thought you were retired. And so <laughs> to me, this is what retirement is, is I get to choose what I want to do. It doesn't mean I'm going to go golfing every day because that's not me. So I have a lot of irons in the fire, but I have great freedom to be able to be with my family and do what I want to do. and then. The things I choose to be involved with are things that I'm passionate about and that I really, really enjoy. And so I feel like I'm in a great place. Uh, you know, we're still young enough that we got so much that we want to accomplish, but I have great freedom to be able to uh, to do what I want to do. See, you you sound like Vermeil. I think uh, Vermeil's wife said the same thing. I thought you were retired when you <laughs> went full born to the wine business. But yeah, I mean, and you said the word given, like uh, the league has given you something another 10 years and you earn that, bro. I, I don't know about that. I mean, I just, you know, uh, there's so many talented players. There's so many, you know, people that, you know, have done more than, than I've done. And so, you know, the bottom line is you try to find your niche. You try to find a place that fits and, and you try to put your best foot forward. And as I said, I, I feel blessed to have had the career that I've had up to this point on and off the football field. I hope it continues to, to move forward. Um, but, you know, I'm always going to look back finally and say, and the NFL has blessed me. The game of football has blessed me in so many incredible ways. 
This is the only time we fight is when I try to get you to say you were actually good and you earned it. Um, you know, it's funny. I, there, there's some questions I need to ask you about 99, obviously, uh, 2001 when you led the league and uh, the 2000 season, which I have to apologize. I did this for Tori and Isaac. I apologize for screwing that up on the defensive side uh, because we, we should have gone back to back and possibly three in a row. Is that fair to say? I mean, you know, you know how it goes. I mean, there's there's injuries and things happen. And, you know, I mean, it just there was a lot of stuff. You know, people catch up to you. You know, that first year, we did the league by storm. And I think it was a perfect mix that we would outscore you. And we would get out in front of people early. And then you guys could pin your ears back and, and do all the crazy things that you did. And we got great pass rushers. You know, year two, people caught up a little bit. And, you know, we did some good things. But. Uh, you know, I, I suffered an injury. I missed five or six games. And you, know, you have key components like that. You know, we ended up being a wild card team in a game that we know we could have easily won that game and people were afraid to play us. But, you know, it's just hard to go that route when uh, you, you know, to, to think that you're going to put these seasons together back to back to back and you know get everybody healthy and, and play at the same level and somebody not able to come in and kind of knock you off in one situation. So, um, I mean, that three-year run that we had was, was awesome. It was special. Um, you know, yeah, would we have loved to have played in three, won a couple, um, you know, at least, uh, of course. But, you know, I, I just look at that time and, you know, you just know things happen in this business and that's why it's so rare to be able to accomplish things and go back to back and, and those kinds of things is because, you know, whether it's free agency or whether it's injuries or, you know, certain things just come together on a team in a season. And the next year, you think you can just, you know, bottle that up and go, OK, we're just going to throw it back out there again. And it just it doesn't. So you have to appreciate the, the great moments that you do have. I, I, I will say this. I think the 99 team was the best team I've ever seen. I would take that team over just about anybody, including the 85 Bears. That would be a fun matchup. But that, that 01 good. offense was the best I've ever seen, where, where picks and turnovers just didn't matter. Yeah. Eventually, you're going to hit the end zone 30 times. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I tell people that all the time is, you know, even my son's like, Dad, you know, one year you won the MVP and you threw 22 interceptions. And I tell him, I won the MVP on all those throws outside of those 22. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that, but that was our mentality is that right. I didn't care if I threw an interception because oftentimes, you know, just pushing the ball down the field and scaring a defense, even if you throw an interception, that pays huge dividends the rest no of the game. That's how I looked at it. Like, oh, you got one? That's okay. Now you're on your heels. You're afraid of everything. And now we'll just pick you apart and we'll score 35 points and, and we'll be good. So um, it is. It was our mentality was so different with that team. You know, Mike Martz coming in, bringing in that mentality like, I trust you guys. I believe in you guys. I am going to give you opportunities to make plays. If you make a mistake, I'm going to give you another opportunity to make plays. And then, as I said, you guys were so talented as well. But once we jumped up on people 14 points, it was game over. Yeah, I mean, we had great pass rushers and a great scheme on the back end defensively that uh, that's what made it so much fun is we hit the ground running and people were just – I still remember Steve Berline coming over to me at one point. He goes, you guys are like a video game. It's like I've never seen before. And, you know, those are like the greatest compliments you could get is just, you know, other players on the other sideline just kind of looking at going, I've, I've never seen anything like this. And I think we came to understand that over the years um, and how special that team was. But it's always fun to hear other people talk about that unit, you know, just like you watching our offensive unit from the sideline, just going, Man, I've never seen anything like it. Uh, those, are the, those are the greatest compliments because there's been so many great teams and 
uh, you know, great moments in this league. Uh, but I still would argue that our offense over that three-year period was as good as any offense this league has ever seen. Um, and it's, it's it's cool to be a part of something like that. No doubt. Uh, Steve Berline, just like um, uh, Everett, um, it's it's the only two quarterbacks that I like now that I feel bad about hitting then. Like, I, I really tried to take you apart, Steve, back in the day, but you're so nice. I feel bad about it now. Um, so I want to go back to 1998 first. Tell me about 4 of 11 for 39 yards. Versus San Francisco at the end of 98, because I went back and I looked, like I said, I told you off air, I went back and actually read your story, your path going through Northern Iowa. Uh, who was the kid you sat behind for a couple of years there? Uh, Jake Johnson. Jake Johnson, a good quarterback. And then you finally got your shot and then you took off from there. So you were with the Packers, that loaded coaching squad that, that I played that Packers squad. I know them, but you had to go through the arena league and then. Finally, you make it to the NFL in 1998, and you have a chance to play. What was that moment like for you when you finally left the sideline to go play quarterback in the NFL? Well, here's the thing, DeMarco, and you know, I'm assuming you had this feeling as well, is that every time you take a step up, whether it's high school to college, college to pro, that there's oftentimes two things that you have to prove. First thing, you got, you got to prove to everyone else that you can play. But what people don't take into consideration is that you also have to prove to yourself that you can play. And we all want to stand there and go, oh, yeah, I should be drafted. I can play in the National League. We all want to believe that. But you still have to prove it to yourself. And so, you know, as I was going through this process and then made the team in 98, yeah, I believed that I could play. Yeah, I believed I was talented enough and it would translate to the NFL. But I didn't really know that. And so you bring up four of 11 uh, against San Francisco in the last game of the year. That was good. <laughs> they were good. Yeah. <laughs> and for me, that was the moment where even though it wasn't a great percentage and I didn't throw a touchdown and it wasn't anything spectacular, just going in, in that moment, speed of the game. And we were in a two minute drill, which was beautiful because it was just throw every snap. So I get a chance to kind of, you know, see what I was capable of. And the game slowed down and I saw the things that I saw in the arena league and in college and all those things that, that translated. And so I went four of 11, but I left that game going, I can play in this business. You know, I, I can play this game. When I get an opportunity, I, you know, I feel like I can excel because that moment, you know, that, that fourth quarter where I got to run the two minute drill was enough to convince me and prove to me that I could play. And so that was so huge because nobody knew what was going to happen in 99, but it would have been different had I gone into game one and had to go, okay, now you got to prove to yourself you can play. I was able to do that the last game in 98. So as I went through the offseason, there was no doubt in my mind. I was very confident that I could play at this level. I had moved up to the number two spot, as you know, uh, Trent, as we signed Trent. Um, and then when I took over, uh, I know a lot of people didn't know a lot about me or didn't expect a lot from me. But I was very, very confident in that moment when I took over in 99 that I can play at this level. And, you know, because of the great talent I had around me and the the system. Um, it didn't surprise me at all that we had great success early, uh, but a lot of it stemmed from that confidence I gained in in 98. You know, it's funny because, uh, you know, we were rallying around Tony Banks at the time, 
Right. And you know how things go with quarterbacks, and we didn't know what was going to happen next season or in the offseason or whatever. So I remember that game in 98 in San Francisco. I was actually hugging Roman Pfeiffer goodbye because I knew he wasn't coming back. I was hugging Wayne Gandy because there was a chance he may not be coming back. We were saying goodbye. We were losing in San Francisco. And I remember when you went in, I'm thinking, okay, well, he's going to get out there and probably get killed. You know, I mean, he <laughs> right. And then in the middle of all this hugging, the offense is staying on the field. Well, who is this guy? You know, and, you know, you, that's when we first got a glimpse. Well, you know, this guy's pretty damn good. You know, maybe he can be a, a backup for us. And then we jump into 99 and, you know, Trent goes down and you step in and we go play Baltimore. And you've seen the soundbite with, with Coach Hanny, God rest his soul, and, and Coach Vermeil. When he says, hey, our quarterback's pretty good and Hanny says what he, what he says, everybody was saying that. You know, this guy's not just a placeholder. He's pretty dang good. He can play football out there. Well, you know, the funny thing, DeMarco, is that, you know, everybody else just knew what they knew. And what they knew was, oh, this guy sat on the bench in college, got cut by the Packers, worked in a grocery store, played arena. You know, that's the story that they knew. And, you know, the other side of it was the story that I knew, that I played one year in college and I was player of the year in our conference. I played three years in the arena league and I was the best quarterback and we went to the championship game twice played in Europe for a year, and I was successful over there statistically, you know, the best quarterback over there statistically. So in my mind, all I thought was, oh, we're just playing football. Give me a ball, put me between the lines, and I'm going to be successful because I've always been successful. But everybody else, all they saw was the times I wasn't successful, and they're going, oh, my gosh, this guy can't play. We can't let this guy lead us. Are you kidding me? What are we, what are we thinking? And then the next part of the mindset is, I played arena football. In arena football, you were supposed to score every time you touched the football. So I remember in 99, everybody's like, oh my gosh, we've never seen an offense like this. And I'm thinking to myself, why are we punting three times? What is going on? You know, what is the problem that we're punting the football three times? So my mentality was so different, even you know, bringing it to the NFL, where I know people didn't score 70 points a game, but my mentality was, we're supposed to score every time we touch the football because that's what I brought with me from, you know, the, the league I was in before. And so those are the things that nobody really understood. They were looking at me from afar and going, oh, my gosh, there's no chance. Who is this guy? Are you kidding me? And me personally was just like, oh, we get to play ball again? Finally, put me between the lines and I'll show you what to expect because I had, I had always expected that. That's what I saw. I mean, right here, I, I was doing my research and I'm like, you know, he's Northern Iowa was good. Your yeah, offense we was good. very good. And, yeah. and you're in the Arena Bowl Hall of Fame. I mean, it's not like you just went through there. You dominated there. Uh, I didn't see much about your NFL Europe. I coached over there. That's a fun league. It was a fun league. And it was yeah. great for me to get back on the big field because that was, you know, that was the question everybody had is, yeah, he's good in arena football, but it's half the size. Can he make the throws in the, on the big field? And so it was a great experience for me to just get back on the big field and show people. And, and you know, DeMarco, oftentimes in this business, it's, you know, you need somebody in your corner. And especially when you go out, you went the route that, that I did. And so Charlie Army, who was our general manager at the time, uh, he came over to visit me and Tommy Newton. Uh, we were on the same team over there and really, you know, developed an affinity for me as a player. Um, and so when he came back, he was the guy that, that really pounded the table that I could play, you know, we were over there and he would come over for dinner and, you know, he'd tell me these things like, I really think you can play in the league. You really got a chance. And, 
you know, of course, we're always like, oh, of course, you know, as a general manager of the team that, you know, I'm signed with, of course, they're going to say that. But, you know, what I came to find out over time was that he really believed that, that I had something different and that I could play. And uh, he's a big part of, of why we're there. Obviously, Dick Vermeer was a huge part of that. But Charlie Army, you know, going in and, and, and being an advocate for me, um, you know, even in that first year in 99, you remember that uh, Wilfer and myself were kind of competing for that third spot. He's a guy that had played in the league, had done some things, uh, even though he'd never been a starter. And it came down to the two of us. Um, and, you know, as the story goes, Dick Vermeer went around to every coach in the, the room, you know, the night before cuts and said, okay, who are we keeping? Williker, Williker. And he, and he took a vote and it turned out that the vote was even. Um, and so he, he had to make that decision the next day on whether he was going to keep me or keep Will. At least that's the story that, that I heard. Um, but, you know, I had an advocate there in our general manager that I think paid huge dividends to just go, let's give this guy a shot because, you know, it's so hard when you don't have a chance to prove that you can play. You don't get a chance to play in a lot of preseason games. Very fortunate that Dick Vermeil decided to take a chance on me and that I had a guy in Charlie Army that, um, that really pushed for me and pounded the table for me. Wow. Uh, he saw it. He did. I mean, and that was his job to find those guys. And I didn't know you and Tommy played on the same team over there, Tommy. Yep. I remember yep. Tommy Newton is the same as you. I didn't know what to expect. Me and Ray Agnew tried to give it to Tommy Newton on the first day. <laughs> yeah. And we both came back like, yeah, this dude's pretty good. <laughs> we tried. Yeah. yeah. This NFL Europe guy. What's his name? Is he German? How do you say his name? And then, exactly. Yeah, we, we quick, quickly learned how to say his name. Uh, I have to, six seasons with the Rams, two MVPs, a Super Bowl title. You have been where no other Ram player has gone. Um, so you, you have to be, I, I guess pride is a bad thing to say to you, but you have to be proud of that. Uh, there's been a lot of guys that have lined up under center with horns on their helmet, but no one has gone this far. And I see what these current guys go through yeah. and how good they are and how much they want to win and how tough it is. But uh, – but to get it done, to be on the mountaintop, I mean, take me back to that moment when you went to the podium and you're on top and there's ticker tape and there we are on the field celebrating. Tell me about that day from your perspective. Well, uh, you know, the first thing is that just being in that place, uh, all of us that played the game had dreams of that from the time we were really, really young. And we all believed that it would happen, right? I mean, when we started believing it and playing it out in our front yard, we're like, okay, this is going to happen. I'm going to play in Super Bowls and, you know, without a doubt. And then you start going through your journey and you're like, oh, my God, I, I just want a chance to play in the league. Like, I, I don't even know if I'm going to get that opportunity. And then to have it all happen in the first season, I think was um, it was the craziest part of all of it is not that I you know, didn't believe I could have success, not that I didn't believe that one day, you know, I could play and win a Super Bowl, but to have it play out the way that it did with that team uh, that quickly, um, you know, really from nowhere to the Super Bowl, um, that when you, you know, when it, you finally get to that point and you win the championship, um, it really was one of those moments for me where, you know, my life and my journey just kind of flashed before my eyes because it wasn't that long ago, right? It wasn't you know, like I was in the league for 10 years before it happened. It was just a few years ago where I'm, you know, stocking shelves in a grocery store and, and I'm playing arena football where nobody has any clue who I am. And now here we are, you know, holding the trophy and winning the Super Bowl. Um, it was just one of those surreal moments where you could really take it all in um, and just be grateful for everything. Uh, and, and again, I don't want to I don't know where other people come from when they're, you know, 
highly touted and they're drafted number one. I don't want to say that they don't appreciate the things that they get because I'm sure that they do. Um, but, I, but I think I really was able to appreciate that moment in that team um, in, a, in a rare way because of everything that had transpired. And um, I remember thinking, you know, a couple times that year, you know, the, after the first game against Baltimore, I was NFC player of the, the week after that game. So we had a bye. I don't know if you remember, we had a bye week two, um, you know, that season. Who has buys week two? I don't know. But we had a bye week two. And so I remember I was back home and I got the call that I was NFC player of the week. I remember looking at my wife and going, okay, we did it. I don't know what else is going to happen. I don't know if I'm going to win another game or, or anything. But it was about proving to myself that I could play because I always believed that I could. And here's that moment where for at least one week, I was the best player, you know, in the league. And then, you know, you catapult that forward and, and you win a Super Bowl, you win the, the MVP of the league. Um, and again, it's just kind of more justification to go, I knew that I could do this. And I'm so grateful that I got this opportunity, you know, with the guys. I mean, you know, we had a special team on top of that, but I got that opportunity to do that. And now you can just take a deep breath and just see what life brings you, you know, moving forward. Because you know, I often tell people is, you know, you talk about the journey. And I, if, if I'd have gone to you, uh, DeMarco, when you were whatever, 10 years old and you were dreaming of playing in the NFL. And I said to you, OK, by the time you're 28, you'll have won a Super Bowl and a, a league MVP. Um, would you take it? And anybody would be like, slam dunk, of course, by the time I'm 20, I'll take it. That means I've got extra time. And so the crazy thing is, is it just so happened that it was my first year and it catapulted me into a place, um, you know, where winning the MVP, winning the Super Bowl to a place that, um, you know, most guys can't or don't get to by the time they're 28 anyways. And so, uh, you know, I just look at it, how blessed I am that it all happened so quickly so I could kind of hit the ground running. Um, and ultimately, you know, it turns up in the Hall of Fame and some of those things, which is a whole nother story, but, uh, but I'm, I'm blessed to, to have that gold jacket. Um, but, you know, that's kind of the thing that I, that I look back and I go, man, you have told me this when I was 10 years old that I would have had this success by the time <laughs> I was I'd have taken it. I no just doubt. would not have ever assumed that it would have happened all in one year and put me on the map in that way. I know what you mean. Your your first big player, when you finally make it, you get your foot in the door, you can at least say no more bagging groceries, at least for the foreseeable future. Now I can just get better at doing what I'm doing. And I, I know this is about the Rams, but I have to bring up your, your time in Arizona as well, man, because we were teammates for three years. You were with the Rams for six. So when I retired, I became a fan of Kurt Warner, not a teammate, just watching you. The Kurt Warner in Arizona was a different guy than what we had in St. Louis. It just seemed like you had gotten your black belt in quarterbacking, if that makes sense. There was nothing they could – the confidence was there. I saw it in 99. I saw it through the, through the greatest show on turf. But the guy in Arizona was an absolute master of the game. And I think that if you would have given it a few more years, I think you might have added some more hardware to your fingertips. That's just the way I looked at it. Yeah, I mean – I think like all of us, you have to evolve, right? Yeah. Is that, you know, when you start out, you can be young and, and, you know, athletic or talented or whatever that is. And then as you get older, you know, you have to evolve and become, to me, a better player if you're going to sustain yourself and, and play at a high level. And, yeah, I don't think there's any question that I began to understand the game more, able to slow the game down more, uh, to have more control of what was going on around me. Uh, where you know, it's so funny that, you know, we talked earlier about, you know, playing racquetball and playing basketball and, 
And I know most people that will watch this will say, there's no way Kurt was a good athlete. But I always felt like I was a really good athlete. I mean, I played all kinds of sports. I was all state in, in numerous sports and I was a really good athlete. But you can never see that on the football field because on the football field, I became a quarterback and it was different. I never thought of myself as an athlete out there. I thought of myself as, okay, mentally read the right thing and throw the ball to the guy that's a really good athlete. And that's your job. So I never felt athletic. I never tried to be athletic on the football field. Um, but I think that was part of how I was able to evolve uh, and going forward is that I just got more and more comfortable with the game and what I was seeing and what my job was and the talent of the guys around me and what fit my skill set. Um, you know, because when we started in 99, it was just like Mike Marks throwing a bunch of stuff up against the board. And we're out there just playing ball uh, and slinging it around. And then I just, I felt like a more complete player later in my career that I really could control what went on on a football field. And, uh, and so I, I take great pride in what we were able to accomplish in Arizona because nobody expected it to happen. Nobody expected me to be able to get back to that level. Nobody ever expected the Cardinals to be at that level. Um, and so we, we changed a, a, a culture. And, you know, we did that in, in St. Louis. There's nothing greater than bringing a community along with you yeah, and changing the culture of an entire community. And we were able to do that uh, for a few years in St. Louis. We were able to do that in Arizona. And that, to me, is what this game is all about, especially at my position, you know, where you're, you're counted on to be a leader and, and to shape the perspective of everybody around you and, uh, and get them to follow you to places that they might not think that they can go. And so that, to me, um, was was a big achievement for me. I'm very proud of what we did in St. Louis, um, you know, because we had so much talent and we did things and we talked about it, you know, we may be the best offense ever. But I'm very proud of what we did in Arizona as well. And it was more because of the lack of expectation uh, that we had. And, and that wasn't just people on the outside. That was inside the building too. Nobody ever expected us to be successful. Nobody ever expected us to be at that level. And so to help be a part of kind of raising that belief and that perspective for an organization was, was pretty cool. And, you know, again, it's only typical, right. That, you know, my career was so crazy uh, that I have a great beginning to my career and then a great end to my career to kind of bookend with, with a lot of challenges in the middle. Uh, but it just seemed fitting that this is how it should work out for me because it would have been so up and down and, and such a crazy road, uh, but a perfect way to finish it because you, know, you talk about how do you go out and, the last game that I played in Arizona was the playoff game against Aaron Rodgers. Yeah. Uh, and I might sit here and argue that that was the greatest game that I ever played. And so it was kind of a nice moment, too, that I got booed out of that building um, <laughs> in 06 when we opened that building. And then quite possibly had the best game I ever played in that building to kind of usher me, myself uh, you know, out of that stadium. And so um, it was just, you know, there's so many cool things and moments. Uh, within my career that, you know, I'm just, you know, as we talked about, before, I'm so grateful. And, I, you know, I sit back and, you know, there's times that, you know, you play the what if game, right? Well, what if I played 12 years with the Rams? You, what if I never had left the Rams? What would my career look like? Like how many Super Bowl championships would we have and, and all that stuff. Uh, and so there's moments where you do that uh, because you see these guys that get to play 15, 16 years with one organization um, and how special that would have been. But you know, when, when you look back at it, when it's all over, you know, I just kind of say to myself, man, I, I was fortunate. I was one of the few guys that got an opportunity to do it with two organizations at that position 
uh, and to that level. And so, you know, again, it's, it's a cool thing that I, that I think I can take with me or take, take with me from uh, into retirement uh, to know, hey, you know, that it was more than just about this one team that was ultra talented. And I was fortunate to kind of fall into that. And we did some great things together. But to show people, hey, there's more to the person and the player than just a high flying offense. It's learning different ways to be able to be successful and to lead. And so I'm, I'm very proud of, uh, of that time that I had in, in Arizona. See, I would take that sound bite right there. And that's what I said. I think you got way more demanding in Arizona, which is what a good quarterback <laughs> should be anyway. Uh, I saw some some facial things I've, I've never seen out of you, but I like that. I mean, he's, he's demanding. He's, but this is what I would say to the naysayers about Kurt Warner in the Hall of Fame. He did it twice to two franchises that he had to lift out of, like you said, you had to change the culture. That's almost impossible. Some teams have never done it, and you've done it twice. So that goes back to that word responsible. Um, and there's only a few guys I go to when I need to get some football advice. Marshall for running backs, Todd Light for corners, you for quarterbacks. And if memory serves, when we were talking about Jared Goff and system quarterback, were you mad about that? I believe we're all system quarterbacks. That all of us, you know, have systems that we play better in. And the great ones are, are the ones that are fortunate to find a system that works for them. And they're able to stay in that system for 10, 15, 20 years. But I believe we're all system quarterbacks. We all have things that we do better than, uh, than other things. And, you know, you can take us and put us in. And, and it goes back to, as well, we're seeing it a little bit more now. You know, Peyton, Tom, myself, um, you know, but we're really the only three guys that um, have played at a certain level in one system. And then been able to go to another system and have, uh, you know, an equal level of, of success in that other system because it's very, very difficult to do. And, you know, and I'm even going to tell you that I tried to shape a lot of the system in Arizona around what I did well or what we did in St. Louis. And, and I know it was the same for those other two guys, but that becomes the key is you got to find a system that fits you. And then yeah, you, you do whatever you can with that system. So I thought Jared Goff was a perfect fit for what the Rams did system-wise. But with Stafford, I think you have an opportunity to make a play when there's no play. And you know what that is with quarterbacks, right? Uh, I, I think Russell Wilson is the best at bailing out his call, his play caller. If it's dead, he can still make a play. Yeah, and but, but here's the thing is that you know these guys are ultra-talented. But the bottom line is you have to be able to do both. And the, the bottom line for me is I always believe that you want to be a great quarterback. The first thing you have to do is you have to make the layups. You have to make the throws and the reads you're supposed to make almost every single time. And then once you do that, now give me whatever you can give me from there. You know, what, what's going to make you special? And so that's really going to become the question for me with Matthew Stafford is that we know he's unbelievably talented. We know he's going to make some throws that everybody in the stadium is just going to go, oh, my, did we just that? Did that just happen? But the question is going to be, can he play and make the layups and do what he's supposed to do? And then give us a little bit extra when we need it. Don't try to be that guy all the time like you had to be more often in Detroit. I need you to do, because we got a great defense, right? We've got a good scheme. I need you to do what you're supposed to do in this offense. And then just give me a little extra whenever we need that little extra. But trying to live in that world is really hard. And you mentioned Russell Wilson. You're right. There's nobody better at creating than Russell Wilson. But if we go back and look at Russell's career, they've had great success in the regular season, but they went to two Super Bowls early in his career when it was more based on other things because no matter how good you are, it is hard to live 
in the world of being special. You need to make the plays you're supposed to make. You need to make the layups, right? Because Aaron Donald's chasing you. Good luck trying to avoid him over and over in the game. No, make the layup, frustrate him, frustrate him, frustrate him, frustrate him. And then, oh, you need to make a play, go make a play. And that's how we win games, not trying to live in the special and making, you know, a few of the layups. I just don't believe that's how you win in this business. And so that's going to be the question is that, you know, we know Matthew Stafford's more talented and, and brings more to the table. Yeah. But he's got to be able to play within himself and play within the system and play to that defense and then give us the special when we need it. You don't have to give it to us all the time. Been up there a lot, saw him play, and you're exactly right. He makes some wow throws. Uh, it's unbelievable. So I can't wait to see what this marriage between McVay and, and Stafford's going to look like because if it works – the guy can throw it anywhere, you know, no doubt. No doubt. who knows from bagging groceries to the hall of fame to on Rams iconic, man. Thank you for joining us. This was awesome. Oh, you bet my friend. Any, anytime that uh, you need a guest, I'm, I'm happy to come on and relive some old memories. We're going to find their racquetball court, basketball court. It's on. It's not over. Oh, okay. I'm still <laughs> in. I actually, we just put up a pickleball net. You played pickleball? Never, but I'm going to learn now. That may be, that may be more our speed. Now, as we're getting up here, it's not quite as intense as racquetball or, or basketball, even though I still play basketball, but we just put yeah. up a football net. I forgot. And you and I, we, we have birthdays in June. We're coming up on 5-0. I know. 5-0, <laughs> oh, my man. 5-0. Oh. Wow. Still here and looking good, though. Kurt, thanks. Talk to you soon. All right, buddy. That's a wrap on another episode of Rams Iconic. Thanks for tuning in. And make sure you hit that subscribe button to be notified when a new episode drops. We're just months away from the 2021 season, and we can't wait for you to step inside the Rams house with us. Thanks again to Rams legend Kurt Warner for being our guest today. I'm DeMarco Parr. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on Rams Iconic.